You're listening to Women Transcend. I'm Jennifer Todd, and this is a podcast that explores issues that affect women and girls worldwide. Welcome, friends. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Women Transcend. If you're a friend of the pod, welcome back. We're glad that you have joined us. And if you are a new listener, we are super glad that you found us. Just a quick reminder, if you enjoy Women Transcend, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that each new episode will automatically load in your podcast player. So now for today's episode, we are going to be discussing fertility, infertility, and technology. We have a wonderful interview coming up. Please stay tuned for it. We are going to be talking with Dr. Julie Bendeman, who is a reproductive psychologist and an amazing woman. Um, you won't want to miss it. But um, And now for something you might want to miss. <laughs> My co-host, John Philbeck. <laughs> Thank you for introducing yourself, John. Jump right in. <laughs> Just kidding. I, of course, everything I have to say is, uh, <laughs> we'll cut this in post. No, I like it. Keep that in. This is a really important topic, although it's a topic that doesn't get a lot of discussion. And that's sort of what we try to do with Women Transcend is start conversations that we need to have. And people who are having difficulties with fertility it's not something that you generally discuss outside of your partnership or outside of your immediate family. It would be very awkward, I think, but by doing that, it really isolates you. Yeah. You know? there, yeah. there are things that you would probably like to, to have some social support for, and you feel like that's sort of cut off. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's sort of taboo, and I, you know... I don't know why, because it's not that uncommon. And especially now, and we'll talk about this more with, with today's guest, but couples are choosing to have children later and later in life, you know, because of various reasons, economic reasons, professional reasons. And because couples are, are having kids later in life, fertility is becoming more of an issue. But yet, we still don't talk about it. You, know, you don't hear people discussing it with friends. It's, I think the fact that it has become taboo, and I wonder why it is taboo. There's a lot of grief involved with confronting these fertility issues. So much. And, and I think that as people in general, we're, we're just bad at, at knowing what to do in that situation when, when we think someone might be going that through that. That is a really great point. It's almost like, you know, when you go to a funeral and nobody knows what to say. Exactly. Um, exactly. And the best thing to say is really just nothing and just to be present and listen or to be present and say, I'm really sorry. Um, yeah. But just yeah. to, 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 to listen. But we're really bad at that just in general. But... Um, and it's potentially spread out over such a long period exactly. of time. Yeah, that's another really, you know, as I was talking with our guest, Dr. Bindeman, I just kept thinking, 
my gosh, what a drawn out, painful path for some couples who are trying, you know, they just want to be parents so badly and, you know, could face years of pain and and medical procedures and expenses. And I think that really we don't discuss it and we certainly don't honor that pain. Yeah. It's kind of understood that that is unspoken. Yeah. And I think that situations where people might ordinarily be open to being involved in a social network for the, for the grieving person. This is another situation again where it's like, well, how, you know, how do we fit in there? I think people who are in that situation are are very much in need of having a social network that they can rely on to help sort of you know relieve some of the the burden and the pain and you know sometimes the couples themselves don't feel like reaching out to those networks and the people that might ordinarily be in their networks feel uncomfortable about reciprocating and they just don't yeah. know what to do yeah and i i guess you know if you were in the situation and you don't know how your bestie that you talk about everything to, how that person is going to react, you know, are they going to be supportive? Are they going to be dismissive? Yeah. And I can understand the hesitancy because it's already so fraught with grief and pain. And if you try to have a discussion with your bestie who has three kids and you're dealing with a fertility issue, I can imagine that you wouldn't, one, it would just be painful to talk with him about because yeah. they might have difficulty understanding if, yes. if fertility wasn't an issue for them. Yeah. And then it might just compound the pain if you reach out and they're not, they sure, yeah. don't know how to respond. It's and, risky. Yeah, it's very risky and they to respond reach out. clumsily, yeah. you know, just like if the person at a funeral who says, you know, shake it off or yeah. gosh, hope you feel better. Or, yeah, you, know, yeah. you never know exactly what to yeah. say. And there is no right thing to say. Yeah. Just listening. And yeah, I can see how the the risk of that kind of response would be potentially worse than than not having that person as a resource in the first place. Yeah. And because it isn't something that we talk a lot about. You know, gosh, I'm really sorry to hear that you're, you know, having all these issues with fertility. How can I help? Or yeah. I, I'd love to, you know, if you need an ear, I'm I'm happy to, you know, I hate to say this, but I wonder if this is one of the, a case where unless you have been there, it's just hard to, yeah. to be empathetic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there are therapeutic options available. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think is would be indispensable. Yeah, definitely. And our guest today is one of those resources and she's amazing. But, you know, if you didn't have access to somebody like that or, you know, if financially that wasn't an ish- option for you, you know, like we talk about if you're in a partnership with someone, if you're married, if you're, you know, you've been in a couple for a while, it's just sort of an expectation a societal expectation then you know when are you having kids and that's got to just be such a painful question to yeah. to have to answer if you know you're trying but 
you haven't been able to. Yeah. And you're not going to, you know, probably not going to answer, you know, I wish we could. I wish I could tell you when we're yeah. trying. Yeah. But there's, you know, there's this problem and this problem and we've tried this and that didn't work. And, yeah. And, you know, by the time you got done talking, you'd probably see the back of that person's head yeah. getting smaller walking away. When maybe what you want to say is, how dare you ask that question, you know, or... or yeah, I, yeah. You know. And that also brings up, that isn't maybe a question that people should It's not ask, appropriate, but it's, yeah. Yeah, it's not appropriate, but it, it is just is what people do. That, you know, like... Just like if you've been dating for a while, so when are you guys going to get married? Yeah, yeah. And then you get married, and so when are you guys going to have kids? And then, yeah. you, you know, um, it's- That question almost sounds like it's from the Middle Ages in a way, you know? I mean, it, it's probably been being asked for thousands of years. Yeah, uh-huh. But it's still, I mean, it still is. It's still very much an, an expectation. And for couples who, you know, make the purposeful decision not to have kids they get judged like oh sure you know yeah. oh you're so selfish you just think of yourselves and yeah. parenthood is not for everybody yeah it just seems like the whole issue we need to just apply so much more awareness to people's needs here i think you know it's we just need to be much more aware about the emotions that are involved and and sensitive to them yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and to be ready to be someone's empathetic ear and not to judge. Not judging again is probably a good thing in most contexts. Yeah. <laughs> good point. How dare you ask me that? <laughs> How but, do you mean? Yeah. What did you mean that, by that? That, that but... offends me that you would call me out on <laughs> being judged. Yeah. So... We have a really great interview coming up where we really go deep into the issues around fertility and infertility and in treatment, seeking treatment for fertility, the options that are available. And this is turning to science when you've exhausted all the other ways if you really want to be a parent and you've you've exhausted the the natural way the things that are available but those also are fraught with the possibility of differing levels of or sort of extending the disappointment and the grieving process and yeah as i mentioned in the um interview i think that the whole notion of infertility and not being able to have children, there's not a word for that kind of pain because it's it's a grief for something that never was. And we don't really honor that pain felt by you know either an individual or a couple. Yeah. And we really need to think about that and how we can change that conversation and be the friend that is a safe person to have the, a discussion about this with, I think. Yeah, yeah. So um, this was such a phenomenal interview. We are breaking it up into two parts. Coming up next is my fascinating discussion with Dr. Julie Bendeman. She is a reproductive psychologist practicing in the Washington, D.C. area, 
and is the co-owner and director of Integrative Therapy of Greater Washington. Welcome to Women Transcend Julie. Hi, Jennifer. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I am really thankful that you are able to take some time to talk with us. And I'm really anxious to dive into your expertise. You have such an unusual and specialized area of training and expertise. Can you tell me how you work with women around issues of fertility? Sure. So the common buzzword I use for what I do is I'm a reproductive psychologist. And so what that means is I work with people that are attempting pregnancy, that are enduring pregnancy, are postpartum. I work with their families around that huge transition that is parenthood. And while the majority of that time, that transition is fairly seamless for most people, there is a good chance anywhere up to 25%, depending on what situation you're, you're facing, where that pregnancy does not end up in having a baby. And that's even if you can become pregnant at all on your own. So I work with people that are struggling with fertility issues, trying to conceive. I work with people that have had pregnancy losses of all different types. I work with people that are struggling postpartum with a perinatal mental health concern. And I work with people trying to manage and process birth trauma. Wow. That's amazing. And, you know, all of these are issues that I think are underappreciated how difficult each and every one of those can be. So what important work you do. Um, Thank you. Yeah. No, if I could just circle back, you know, when we think about pregnancy, I think it's really easy to go to the place where, oh, congratulations. That's so great. I'm going to go and buy, you know, baby stuff. And yay, have you thought of a name? And, you know, it's all balloons and stork and um, happiness. But for a lot of people, it's not. And in particular for people who are struggling with infertility. Yes. And have tried for years sometimes unsuccessfully. And I think that there is a kind of grief around infertility that people don't understand and don't fully appreciate that there's this loss without a name because it's a loss of something that never was. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. It is the loss of the potential future, uh-huh. the loss of a dream, the loss of that particular hope. And and I want to I want to just sort of take a step back to let your audience know how frequently people struggle with infertility, because we now hear about celebrities talking about it. Certainly the news with Kim Kardashian hiring a gestational carrier that's really sensationalized and that is one part of fertility. But one in seven Americans, one in seven American couples will struggle with fertility challenges. So that's a pretty large number. And I think one of the things that it's probably a larger number, but this is based upon the people who are able to get treatment. Yeah. So 
there's certainly, and this is a whole other show in terms of what are the access to care issues around infertility. Um, and that certainly is true with our military population. And it's yeah. certainly true with our non-military population. It's prohibitively expensive. It's, it can it, be depending yeah. on what state you live in. Uh huh. There are, I want to say it's up to 10 states now that have a mandate within their insurance laws to cover at least one, at most six rounds of IVF. It all depends on where you live in terms of what your coverage is. Uh -huh. So the state of Maryland actually covers three rounds of IVF. Wow. Um, the state of Massachusetts covers six rounds. So again, your zip code matters. Yeah. Uh huh. Which is ridiculous. Yes. And that's as of now. And who knows what will happen. Yeah, I know. I hate hearing that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's it is very very true. Your zip code is going to matter more and more and more. Um and but one thing that's hopeful is that the laws that I'm talking about, these are not federal laws, these are state laws. Uh -huh. So whatever the federal government decides to do, the states have already had these laws on the books. Yeah. That's an important fact to I try remember. to take some comfort in that. So yeah. anyway, going going back, I wanted as I said, I just wanted to share what the scope of the issue was. And infertility I think also the the other myth that we associate with fertility challenges is that it's always the woman's fault. Yeah. That somehow the fertility issue is is within her and you know she's the one who has to go through all of these laborious tests that are very invasive uh -huh. um to diagnose and potentially treat the issues. But what's really interesting is that Fertility challenges are equally a woman's fault or a man's fault, uh -huh. or sometimes they're, they are combined where it's both, and I, I hate saying fault, it makes it sound like it's something you can yeah, do or yeah. you could prevent. It's not. Infertility is a, a medically defined condition. Mm -hmm. And if, if I'm going to expand sort of on what that means... It is the inability to conceive and carry a pregnancy to term. If you are under 35, that is within a year of trying. If you are over 35, that's in within six months of trying. And trying, just again, to be really specific, means that, that you are timing intercourse in a way where pregnancy potentially could be achieved. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I, I know lots of people who are still using their birth control and they're like, but I'm not pregnant. I'm like, well, yeah, funny how that works. Uh -huh. So, you know, just want to be really specific sure. for, for those that are listening. Yeah. And the, the different time, you know, one year for under 35 and six months for over 35 is related to sort of natural aging effects. And, you know, if you wait too long at 35, then those natural aging effects are going to be more of a problem or more of an issue. Yes. So societally, what we're seeing, and, and again, it's sort of the plus and the minus of progress. So with progress and with what a lot of our American societal demands are is you need a two-person income in order to sustain living in a lot of the country, not all of the country, but a lot of the country. And so in order to do that, that means a woman is in the workplace uh, until she's a little older, where she's really established her career and kind of gotten to that launching off point. And unfortunately, that correlates to the time it might take a person to get to that point in their career also correlates to this 
fantastic phrasing um, that the medical establishment has called advanced maternal age, yes. which is the ripe old age of 35. You know, no yes. one feels old then given what our <laughs> life expectancy is. But in terms of what our biological process is, if we look historically, women had been having their families in their mid to late teens, early 20s. And again, with technology and the advancement and the industrial revolution, that's gotten pushed back incrementally over time. So now it's pretty common for women to want to start having their families in their early to mid 30s. For some women, it's mid to late 30s or even early 40s. And that is where ART or assisted reproductive technology can come in. Uh-huh. Okay. I remember a friend of mine in medical school told me that she had learned that day that a uterus that was over 35 years of age was referred to as an elderly uterus. We yes. were both, yeah, we were both um, mortified, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Well, and to, and to clarify that point, because a uterus is actually a muscle and that can be used fairly late in life. However, where a woman comes up against a time marker is with her eggs. And in terms of how many eggs are consistently being released in a month or over the span of a year, I shouldn't say in a month, it's typically one. And in addition, how chromosomally normal is that egg. So yeah. the older a woman is, the more likely that her eggs are chromosomally abnormal or that she's just not producing many of them. Yeah. Okay. And this is where, as you suggested, technology has sort of expanded our ability to become mothers into our 40s, sometimes, you know, late 40s. Yeah. And, and in some countries, there was a mother in India who gave birth in her 70s. Yeah. So, I remember reading that. Whew, yeah. Lots of interesting conversations around my colleagues, around all of these and more. And, and we'll get into some of the, with technology comes responsibility and comes ethical questions. So I know we'll get to that. Yeah. But, um, so there you, there you go. Spoiler alert for yeah. everyone who's listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that this is actually something that got a little bit of attention kind of in women's magazines, maybe, I don't know, five or six years ago. There was a some awareness that, you know, you do need to have a reproductive life plan. And if you, yes. you know, if you are in your mid 30s and you're not ready to be a mom, then you need to think about what is your plan. And there was a lot of, of talk about it, freezing eggs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, this brings up a lot of dilemmas about, you know, how vigorously you want to pursue motherhood or how much intervention you want in order to become a parent. Yes. So certainly, as we already talked about, there is a correlation between financial ability to pursue these treatments and the potential ability down the road to parent. So let me let me sort of start out. Like there's so many different options within the world of ART. And again, ART means assisted reproductive technology. So I'm gonna kind of start from the most simplest and then get into the more complex arrangements, if that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the simplest would be 
somebody going to their OBGYN saying, you know, I haven't gotten pregnant and the OB saying, great, let me give you a medication that helps with ovulation. It helps with the stimulation of ovulation. Commonly it's called Clomid and you can try that for up to six months and let's see where you are. Now with Clomid, there is a slight increased risk of twins it's up to a, I want to say it's a 15% chance of twins by using Clomid. So you'd use Clomid, you'd have just timed intercourse, which means that a woman is aware of when she is ovulating, intercourse commences around that time period, and then you wait two weeks and take a pregnancy test and see where everything is. So that's kind of the, almost the simplest intervention to use. Kind of the next step up, might be, okay, maybe we're having difficulty with timing the insemination. Maybe there are some sperm issues. And so the sperm needs to be washed and evaluated so that the best sperm are introduced to the egg. And so that process you would use would be interuterine insemination, or as I like to affectionately call it, the turkey baster method. Um, (laughs) What we see in the movie is when you have a single woman who wants to get pregnant, she buys the sperm or she uses a friend's sperm sample and turkey based away. Uh Uh-huh. And sends in the best troops. Exactly. So using ART, if you were to go see a reproductive endocrinologist and utilize this technology, they're going to make sure that you have the best sperm of the sample available, and that's going to be inseminated. So also so that the sperm don't have to swim quite as far. They're already in the uterus, which gives them less of a chance to have to go up into the fallopian tubes to hopefully find the egg and to fertilize the Mm -hmm. egg. It's amazing how any of us are here at at all when you know about (laughs) reproduction. It always astounds me. So the next level of complexity is if we determine, okay, for whatever reason, and there are lots of reasons why this might be, we want to create an embryo in the lab. So that would mean extracting eggs from a woman, extracting sperm from a man, combining them in a lab, and letting those potential blastocysts grow to create an embryo and then implanting that embryo back into the uterus, waiting to see whether or not the uterus is a hospitable place for it and whether the pregnancy takes. Uh huh. Now, is this what was sort of the old name for it, test tube baby? Yes. So yeah. that is, that's the process describing in vitro fertilization or IVF yeah. is what it's more commonly referred to. Okay. So here's now where things start to get interesting, as if it wasn't interesting enough. <laughs> what happens if you can't use yours or your partner's gametes? So when I say gametes, that means whatever sex cells you have, whether those are sperm or eggs. And there's so many different situations where this could be. It could be that you have premature ovarian insufficiency where, hey, you haven't hit advanced maternal age, but even though you're still younger, you're not producing eggs regularly. It's manifest, but you don't have regular periods. And it's a condition that oftentimes women have, and it's a hard condition because they're not necessarily ready to confront 
fertility challenges at a younger age. So for women in that situation, and that's just one of many, you might turn then to an egg donor and utilize a younger woman's healthy egg, utilize your partner's sperm or sperm that you, you've procured and create an embryo that way. You could certainly have sperm donors and we see lots of pop culture movies about that too. Yeah. Where a man has provided a sperm sample and potentially many families can be or many children can be created from the donations that a single donor has has made. Mm-hmm. So that's always interesting. Then we're sort of getting too into, okay, well, if you don't have a uterus, because some people were born without a uterus or sometimes throughout a person's pregnancy journey, their uterus is no longer functional, you might need to use someone else's uterus and that would be using a gestational carrier. So for some people, they create an embryo that are their own eggs and sperm. Um, for other couples, they might need to use a donor gamete. And for some couples, I know they're using both donor eggs and donor sperm and a gestational carrier. So again, like when you're looking at issues of legality and parentage and things like that, it starts to get really kind of slippery. Almost. Yes. Uh huh. And then just because it's fun to make things much more complicated too, certainly same-sex couples are using this technology, which is great. This is a technology that enables people who are going through cancer treatments because typically after you go through chemotherapy or radiation, it's not safe to use your own gametes. Yeah. So it it allows people who might be younger and having to go through cancer to be able to cryopreserve their gametes for later on. It For pediatric cancer patients, yeah. this is something that's really big too. And then sort of the, the most recent frontier, I would say, is using ART to assist transgender people in becoming parents. So whether that might be cryopreserving their gametes at a young age before transition, or whether that would be using ART to uh, impregnate perhaps a trans man. So all of these things, just sort of all of these new frontiers of technology are, are pretty amazing, but not without questions or thoughts or, or people, I think, because we're not used to it, some people are like, oh, well, why would people do that? So, you know, recognizing that culturally we are still working to kind of wrap our heads around all of this technology. Yeah. And, and I've just given you a broad overview. I haven't even gotten into even the more complicated parts of sure, it. Sure, yeah. I think, you know, the the takeaway is that it's a lot more complicated than gamete meets gamete and baby. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And, you know, that is, if you would like to get pregnant, that's the ideal. But for so many, that is not the case. And it's important for people to understand the challenges. I think early on, before they're, you know, before they are even in a relationship, to be thinking about their reproductive life plan and at what point do I want to start thinking about uh, marriage or, you know, at what point do I want to be a, a mother? Do I want to be a mother? And, you know, especially if you have, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but if you have chronic health conditions that you need to Absolutely. stabilize in order to maximize your health and you need to quit smoking and all of these things 
this is yet another tangent, but all of these things make the oops pregnancy just such uh those those are almost slaps in the faces of people who are undergoing fertility challenges you yeah. know to hear about the oops oh my gosh you didn't even realize and up oh, i'm pregnant it it hurts yeah on a really fundamental emotional level and part of that hurt is around this is my biological imperative and i'm not able to perform my biological imperative and so there's that that's steeped around the emotional concerns. And, and I know we, we hadn't even started there, but the emotional parts of fertility treatments where, I mean, even people of a Judeo-Christian background, if you look at the Bible and it talks about, you know, go forth and multiply. So it's steeped within our culture. Oh, absolutely. Um, steeped within references. What's interesting is you can also look at the Bible and the Bible talks about infertility. You look at, at one of the matriarchs, Sarah, and she's infertile until she's a hundred years old. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, my God. I don't quite understand how that one yeah. worked, but <laughs> hey, that's awesome. Uh, I, I like that God is the first RE. Um, that's pretty cool. <laughs> There's the title of the episode. Thank <laughs> But I think, as you mentioned, sort of tied in with all this is societal expectation and gender roles. And if you're a woman, it is presupposed that your role is wife and mother. And if you either choose not to or are not able to, even more painfully, if you are not able to fulfill that role because of whatever the circumstance, how painful. And it's It's a pain that we don't talk about, and I think it's a pain that is not acknowledged. It's a grieving process, and that sounds kind of weird to talk about infertility as grief, but women who struggle with fertility go through several stages of potential grieving processes. So one part is that oh my gosh, we're not just going to have a baby based upon what we do in our bedroom. We have to bring in a physician to help us. So there's grief associated with having a third person come in and be involved in the baby making. Uh There's, you know, certainly grief around the financial piece potentially. Yeah, sure. um, And fear around that. There is a grieving process depending upon how long it takes. There's a grieving process too, where after an embryo is implanted and you have to wait two weeks before you get your blood drawn to to test to see whether or not officially you're pregnant. And because once the embryo is transferred, most clinics give you a sonogram picture of that embryo. So you already kind of have baby's first picture that you put on your your refrigerator and you started to imagine what it's going to be like for you and your partner to be parents and what this potential child might be like and all the things you're going to do with it. And if you get pregnant now, they'll be born at X date. And that means we can start announcing it X time. And you sort of plan it all out. So within those next two weeks to get the blood test and have the physician's office call you back and say, I'm so sorry, you're not pregnant. There's a loss in that because you've 
you've had this dream, you've had this hope, and that call shatters it. Yeah. The difficult part of that about this loss is most people don't talk about undergoing a fertility journey. And so they're very quiet about seeking out treatment, which makes sense. You know, potentially they might be concerned about judgment or um, having to field a lot of questions or people are just private too. And all of that is fine. But then there's not that support for when the IVF cycle doesn't take. Yeah. And I know a lot of my clients can feel really isolated then because they're like, oh, no one knows I did this and no one knows why I'm sad and now I have to go through everything with them. And people don't get, just like you were saying, why is this a big deal? I mean, you weren't even pregnant yet. Why do you care? But again, for a couple, when you get that first picture, you've started to invest in this process. And I think there's also this idea too, that if we're using science, well, this is pretty much a sure thing. Yeah, I get that on our own, it's not as much of a sure thing, but we're using science and timing and technology. So, you know, that makes it much more of a sure thing. And and what's interesting is that the percentage, and, and this is also depending on age, doesn't dramatically increase necessarily if you use IVF versus not. So that that is also a factor of age. I'm not trying to sit there and say IVF isn't useful. It is, uh-huh. but it's not a sure thing. It's yeah. not a hundred percent. Yeah, and I'm you know, as you said, you get emotionally invested. You get financially invested. Um, yes, you get down this road, and it may take months, years, and then you have to, for some parents, make the decision. You know, we've done everything. And this must be incredibly hard to decide it's time to give up. Right. In the list of, you know, the panoply of different technologies, we're going to go X far. Right. And then it's, we just have to be, you know, I, I guess, I, I wonder if, do, do women think about that or do couples think about that in advance? Some do and some don't. Um Another area where people experience grief is if they can't use their own gametes. So there is a grieving process around that lack of biological connectedness Uh to a child that one parent might have. So that's a place to, uh, oftentimes I'll I'll hear people say, okay, we'll only try with our own gametes. And if it doesn't work, we'll do X amount of rounds of IVF. If it doesn't work, fine. But then there is such that appeal and you've tried so hard, it's kind of like that gambler's high where, you know, you just need kind of like a little win or a little taste and you you might want to keep on doing it again and again. And, and, and I know women who will sit there and say, I get that this doesn't make sense to do, but I don't want to not try. And that could have been my baby. Or I don't want to not go to donor egg because what if that's how I'm able to have my baby? Yeah. And so even if percentages are low or even if it doesn't seem like it it might be successful or even if it's going to take a toll, I hear so many women really struggle with this idea of when to stop. Yeah, I can imagine because that, you know, that would be letting go, closing the door on that possibility. And and I want to talk a little bit too about a fallacy that I think people insert at this time, which is, well, they can always adopt. And I hear that so much. Yeah. 
And yes, adoption is a fantastic thing. And the world of ART has learned so much from the world of adoption. But it's not so simple for a number of reasons. So first of all, it really means letting go of the idea of a genetic connection between one or both parents. And for some couples, that's just a hard stop right there, that that's just too difficult to let go of. Mm -hmm. The other piece too is that you don't necessarily know what the situation of the pregnancy might have been with an adoption. Yeah. There's again, this idea of, oh, well, there's so many babies to adopt. Yeah. Why is there, why is this a problem? Well, that's also not true. A lot of times adoptions will seem to be occurring, but there's a waiting period after the birth mother gives birth. And there are definitely times where she changes her mind. Uh-huh. And so you have these potential parents so excited. They've been with the baby now for several weeks in that home state because different states have different waiting periods. And if sometimes it's at the last minute, they're told, nope, nope, sorry, she changed her mind. So a loss can occur with adoption too. Adoption's not a sure thing. Yep. Adoption tends to work better if you're younger because birth mothers have a lot of power of choice, which mm-hmm. is great. But the older parents that are really wanting a child that might be more financially stable don't always look quite as attractive to a birth mother as younger parents might. Yeah. So there's a lot of potential pain. Adoption can take not, it's, it's not a quick process. You have to, it's invasive too. You have a social work that's coming to your house that is talking to you is, is making sure that you can, you're fit to be a parent. So that can feel really invasive. Someone has to decide whether or not you should parent. That can be really insulting to people. Yeah, yeah, sure. Right. Whereas, you know, the teenager who has no idea about contraception gets knocked up the first time she has sex in the back of her car. Uh-huh. So, you know, again, it's it's sort of that that parallel there. Uh-huh. And, and ado- I mean, international adoptions aren't as easy as they had been in the past. So there's less access for American parents to adopt internationally. And there's can be a lot of regulation issues with that as well. So there's a lot of difficulties with the world with adoption as an option. Uh And it certainly is an option. But to look at it as, oh, well, if you're infertile, that just means you should adopt, I think is really not using a lot of critical thinking skills. Yeah. And not informed. No. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Women Transcend. If you enjoy our show, an easy way to help support us is to tell one friend about our show and how they can find us. Grab their phone and subscribe. If you have to, you'd be surprised how many people don't know how to find podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe yourself to our podcast so that you can be sure that you won't miss an episode it will automatically show up in your podcast player each week. I'd like to give a quick shout out to another independent podcast called Painopolis. Independent podcasts are sort of like the PBS of podcast world. We're not in a part of podcast networks doing our own thing. 
The podcast Painopolis does a great job of discussing some really fascinating issues of people living with chronic pain, how it has changed them, and how they're able to do amazing things to overcome. So I would recommend, if you can, check out the podcast Painopolis. A big thanks to Dr. Julie Bendeman for today's interview. And of course, to Dr. John Philbeck for doing all of the fabulous sound artistry so that we sound so good. Follow us on Facebook at Women Transcend. We always enjoy hearing from you. That's all for this episode.